Uh, okay, we're, we're going to be in First uh, Timothy chapter 4 tonight, First Timothy chapter 4. Now, I want to warn you, um, some of you are, are going to struggle through this. Just give you fair warning. You know, I, um, I got a, an email after the California Renewal Project from a Calvary Chapel pastor who was upset with me. Um, felt as though I didn't honor Pastor Chuck. And, um, and, and so I read his words in my initial reading. Um, I, was, I was offended. And I always find that you keep reading until you can hear them. And, um, and you, you let your, your anxiousness dissipate. And you come back to it and you read it again. And you come back to it and you read it again. Finally, when, when you can hear them, and what they're saying, then you respond, you don't react. And, um, and as I read it, I thought he had a valid point because though it wasn't my intention to offend Pastor Chuck, um, the things that I felt in my heart towards Chuck, I, I, I probably didn't put forward as well as I could have. But I just simply asked him, I said, apart from my message, did, did you enjoy the time? And he did. And we ended up having a really neat conversation. He was blessed to know my heart for Pastor Chuck and that Pastor Chuck actually was pleased with the American Renewal Projects, what we're doing. He was, uh, before he died the last few years of his life, he was really getting engaged in that. Uh, he even giggled in the presence of Don McClure uh, about having endorsed uh, Jimmy Carter and, and just the mistakes we make in life and we're all growing in grace uh, and, and when I shared with him some of those insights, he, we had a really neat conversation together. But I, I was thinking about that, you know, initially out of the shoot, what I shared up, upset him. And then what he shared upset me. And then when we just kind of marinated in it and saw it for what it was, I saw what he was saying and he saw what I was saying and we both came to a commonality. One of the great difficulties we're going to have tonight is the great difficulty of the ministry itself. Um, and as you know, this is a pastoral epistle. It's a letter, uh, a, a pastoral letter from from a sage to a rookie. And uh, Paul's instructing Timothy on how to rule well in the church and how to be a minister. And he went through the whole picture of putting forward pastors and putting forward elders and what to look for. And we've covered all of that. And uh, how you look for people who have a good reputation. And we went through all of that. And we even saw the contrast, or not the contrast, but the similarity in how we select uh, civic leaders as well as church leaders through that same understanding that, that we look for, this, this idea of someone who rules their house well, husband of one wife, not given to much drink, and then for pastors not given to drink, and, and seeing all that. And then he concludes chapter uh, 3, um, and I'll just pick up at verse 14 where it says, These things I write to you, Timothy, Though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of what? Truth. Truth is of great importance. That's what we're contending for. Um, uh, Truth, (laughs) a, a lie demands confrontation by the truth, lovingly, but confrontation nevertheless. And, and so... We are the ground and the pillar of truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he goes into this this picture, and it's powerful. He says, God was manifest in the flesh, speaking of Emmanuel, Christ with us, or God with us, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And he he lays out the picture of, of of the significance of who Christ is and that he is the church. That, that he is the foundation. He, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Where the Word is taught, Christ is. And, and the church should be a place of truth. And, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I'm a way or a truth. He, he was very exclusive. I'm the truth. Uh, there's, there's no other. Two plus two is four. And, and you can test it, and, and as he goes through this, he was uh, justified in the Spirit. And we can go through the more sure word of prophecy, which we, we see uh, listed in, in Peter. And all of these things establish that. And in addition, his word is so profound, and the Scripture says in John, that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, so Christ is the embodiment of the word, as, as they would call him, the Alpha and the Omega 
Um, he's, he's spoken of in Revelation as the Alpha and the Omega, which means the A to Z. Um, that's, that's the Greek alphabet, the A to Z. He is the embodiment of everything God has ever had to say to man, and that's it. And so the 66 books of the Bible, we have the canon of Scripture to understand how we came about having this canon of Scripture. Canon means rule. It's a ruler. So if you say, some, if you say this stick is straight and you put it up to a straight edge, a rule, you can see that it's not as straight. And it's, it's where we look into a mirror and we can see clearly who we are and what we're about. And that is what the Word of God, it, it's the only book in the world where we don't read it, it reads us. And it's living and it's breathing and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When people, and you've heard me say this, when people say, Pastor, you really made the word come alive. I can't think of a greater insult. Uh, no pastor makes the word come alive. The word is living and breathing. And, and God caused us to come alive to his word. And, and I, I know that it's, it's intended as a compliment. And I don't receive it as an insult. But, but now that you know, the idea is honor God's word. The scripture says in the Psalms that he holds his word above his name. His name would be worthless if his word wasn't valid, right? And so we have the word of God, and it's all sufficient. And we don't need anything extra, nothing added, anything along those lines. There was a mantra that um, one of the pastors, and actually the pastor who discipled me and gave me my training, uh, uh, Don McClure, actually ordained this, this man, and he started the Vineyard Movement. Uh, Don McClure ordained John Wimber. And John Wimber used to say, God is bigger than his written word. That's dangerous. God is bigger than his written word. And the idea was the denial of the sufficiency of the word of God. And uh, the word of God gives us everything we need in the Christian life. You can read 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And, and this idea, as it says in 1 Timothy, that that you know, all Scripture is, is given by God. And, and that's the idea that Jesus is the Word. He's not bigger than himself. He, he is the embodiment of the Word of God. And, and so I'll go into this in a little bit because the Calvary movement started with a balance between the Spirit and truth. So the Spirit and truth, this idea that God does speak through His Spirit. He ministers to His people and the gifts of the Spirit. We're not cessationists. We believe that the gifts are for today. The gift of prophecy, the gift of a, a word of knowledge, the gift of healing. Um, there, there's a number of them. The gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, the gift of discernment, the gift of helps, the gift of hospitality. There's a number of them listed in the book of Romans as well as in Corinthians. And so... This is, the, this is the empowerment. It's a supernatural work given supernatural power. And this is that dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. And so the responsibility of the ministry is to preach the word in, in, in the truth and the spirit. And, and it's a balance. And it's a very, very difficult balance. That's it. I'm going to leave it at that because you're going to see in a moment how difficult it is in regards to the ministry. One of the things that we, we, I, I always say is, is the body of Christ morphs, morphs. You, you are changelings. Uh, I'm a shepherd, and my job is, is to care for sheep and to look out for wolves. The problem is the sheep turn into wolves, and the wolves turn into sheep. They morph before your very eyes. And, and how does that happen? Well, we, we stray from the Word of God, we become self-consumed, we engage in habitual sin, we become gossips and slanderers, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, and, and, and yet at times we find ourselves indulging in sin, and, and then sin corrupts us, and also affects, you know, sin doesn't just affect you, it affects those you love and those who you're in fellowship with. And so we all suffer. And so you see a wolf and you see a sheep and then you see the sheep turn into a wolf and the wolf turn into a sheep. And you have to be tender and you have to be mindful and you have to be discerning. And, it's, it's, and then there's times where you see a manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm, I'm always weary. I want to test it. I want to make sure it's legitimate. There's been times where we've done an afterglow service where we've waited on the Lord and there's this real tenderness and you can just see the, the Spirit of the Lord moving and the edification of the body and the idea of the gift of tongues uh, and the interpretation of tongues. And you'll see someone stand up and, and, and give uh, what they believe is a word from the Lord in tongues and then they'll do their own interpretation and the interpretation would say something like this, uh, God is commanding his shepherds to repent. And immediately I stopped them. 
And I say, that's not the gift of tongues. The only time that the gift of tongues is used in the Scripture, and this is the only way you know it, is rightly dividing the word of truth. And as Paul will write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you hear someone do that, and you'll say, wait a minute, that's not the gift of tongues, nor the interpretation of tongues, because any time that tongues is used in the Scripture, it's not God speaking to man, it's man speaking to God through psalms, hymns, and spiritual praises, making melody in their heart, and praising the Lord. And that's the edification of the body. There's a prayer language, there's tongues. I've seen it used properly. Um, Probably I can count the times where I've seen it used properly on one hand. The times where I've seen it not used properly, I can count on all of your hands and all your toes. And so you can see that I believe it's legitimate, but I'm very wary wary of the misuse of it and, and how it can be manipulated. And there's no bigger stick to hit someone over the head with than the God stick to get something out of them and manipulate them. And so I have to walk this line as Timothy had to walk it, and so do you. And tonight God's going to minister to us because he, Paul lays out for Timothy in the closing portion of chapter 3 the significance of this great mystery of who Christ is and the significance that, that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. We need to be about truth. Today, as a councilman, uh, and, and also applying this idea of, of deacons and elders and, and even looking at civic responsibility, because it, I don't change being a member of the body of Christ when I step into the civic world. I, I'm still a discerner of truth. I'm still there to speak the truth in love and to balance that. And as I was sitting with a constituent today, and I was with another council member, and as we were sitting with this person, um, they were they were... Uh, special needs, and they were saying, you know, ever since the $15 an hour uh, minimum wage has been enacted, um, it, it, it seems as though businesses are, are just, you know, um, spiting the government and, and firing workers. And I said, well, I said, if when it gets to $15 an hour in 2021, I believe it is, I said, we as a church are going to be left looking at having to probably cut three positions. We won't be able to afford it. And it's not like I can tax the congregation and demand anything out of them. Who's going to pay for that? The government doesn't create wealth. It only divides it. And to mandate a $15 an hour label, and as I started to share with them, they, they understood it. But I also said, I understand your desire that people would be paid more. And there are folks that don't care for their workers, and that's ungodly as well. I said, but, but there's, there's got to be wisdom and discernment and all of these things. And I had to speak that truth in love. Because this is a person that has great need. And so this is, this is the unique requirement of ministering to God's people. And tonight I'm going to show you two videos and you're going to see how difficult it is. Uh, but let's begin with the study of the word. And we're going to pick up in chapter four. Let me pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study tonight. And I pray, God, that you administer and you would touch hearts and prepare us. And just like the conversation with that other Calvary Chapel pastor, uh, the initial study may just catch us off guard, but Lord, may we not react, but respond. And I pray, Lord, that we would marinate on these things and allow you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth. Challenge me and correct me where I need to be corrected, and the same for all of us who are present. But Lord, we do ask that you'd be glorified. And Lord, unless you build the temple, we labor in vain. So May man decrease that your spirit might increase tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Now, understanding how the authority of the church is lined up and where you find godly leaders and what you're to look for, now this is something, Timothy, that you've got to be mindful of because it's going to get ugly. It's going to get real ugly, Timothy. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, doctrines of demons. Now, this is uh, evident today. Uh, He goes on to say they would be speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And it's this idea of a refutation, uh, refuting legalism, what is legalism? Um, we took a look at the idea of, of law and liberty and how is, is law, how can restraint lead to greater liberty? And we took a look at that, didn't we? 
And, and now we come to a place, well, then what is the purpose of the law? Now, if I were to say to all of you, um, if, if, uh, if you continue, um, uh, you're only a true Christian if you study the King James Version of the Bible. Legalism, right? Legalism. Um, you're only a Christian if you believe in, only if you're pre-millennial and pre-trib. Legalism. Um, you're only a Christian if you believe in the five points of Calvinism. Work with me. Legalism or... You're, you're, you're not a Christian if you allow a woman to teach from the pulpit. Come on. Legalism. Legalism. How are we saved? By the law? By grace through... And that is a gift of God, not of, not of works, right? Lest any man should boast. So... We didn't earn it. It was given to us. It's a gift. And we receive that by faith. So who gets the credit for our salvation? So what if I said you must be baptized to be saved? Legalism. Now, it's a commandment. Repent and be baptized, the Lord says, right? So we obey that, don't we? We obey it, not out of obligation, but out of adoration. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Do you see the, the idea? If you commit adultery, are you going to hell if, you're, if you've received Christ by faith? Shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. There are some who are in habitual sin, and yet are you saved? You know, the beautiful thing about the Scripture is in habitual sin, you can read Scripture after Scripture that says it questions your salvation. And then you can read scripture after scripture that affirms your salvation. God doesn't want you comfortable in habitual sin. He just doesn't. And it's not a comfortable place to be. You're, you're not doing any good for yourself or for the body of Christ or for your family or anyone who cares about you or even for your enemies. You're not doing any good. And it, and it, and it, and it isolates you and you're not effective. So the idea is someone comes into the church and says, esoterically that this is a a unique gathering of people and it's good that you study the word but there are deeper truths that you need to adjust to if you're really going to be of the true christian faith and 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 that comes where uh, uh the scripture says that women have to wear scarves and there's no makeup and and um you know we uh, we can go through all kinds of things um has anyone ever heard of a guy by the name of John Humphrey Noyes? He was the second cousin of Rutherford B. Hayes. He actually went to Yale, and he, he was a minister. He's an ordained minister. And um, he, he started a movement. Anyone um, ever heard of Onida or Nida Silverware? Yeah, he started the Onida um, sect. And, and, and he started it where he believed in, in this idea that um, in, the, in the passage of Scripture where it says that you'll neither be married nor given in marriage in heaven, he believed that man should be sinless, and so that sin, sinlessness and this idea of heavenly-minded is that we wouldn't marry. And because we have these physical bodies that require a sexual um, act, uh, there was what they call complex marriage. And really what it was was polyamor. It was, it was you, you could sleep with anyone you wanted to. And, and there was, that's why there's, uh, it was popular for a while. It got up to about 300 people. Uh, and they were really good at making silverware. I, I think the women wanted to make the silverware because they were just kind of sick of the men after a while. Uh, but it was, it was really a, a hippie commune in, in the late 1800s. And you had this Oneida or Nita silverware, and uh, and it all came from this this guy, and and if you're if you leave Long Long Beach Harbor for Hawaii and you're off by by five degrees, you'll miss it by hundreds of miles, and and that's what happens when when you don't teach the whole counsel of God's word, and 
and, and you don't balance it with other things. You know, when, when the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, God would want that none would perish and that all would be saved. That's why I struggle with the idea of limited atonement in, in Calvinism. I struggle with Arminianism because it does take away from the sovereignty of God. If I want to study the sovereignty of God, I study R.C. Sproul. You know, if I want to study grace, I study Chuck Smith. And, and there's a balance between the two. And I'm not a Calvinist, nor, not, nor am I an Arminian. I am a biblicist, and that just means there's a balance. How can God be completely sovereign and man, man have a choice? I have no idea. I have no idea. What about the scripture that says, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated? Yeah, it was written in Romans. And also in the later portions of the Old Testament, after Jacob and Esau had died. And so God had already established their, their direction. And so you look at these things and you say, you know, limited atonement. And, and you say God's completely sovereign. How far are you going to take that? Because you want to explain God. And this is, a, this, is this idea of, of mental ascent and, and this asceticism, or excuse me, a, a esoteric, where, where you're in a unique understanding because you're brilliant. Well, let, let me ask you a question. If God is completely sovereign, then that means, and, and there's no way around it, that means he created evil. And he created some subject to destruction and others unto salvation. And he blames us in this idea of limited atonement. He blames us and he damns us for why we were created. And, and if you hold to the, the full five points of Calvinism, you can't say to someone, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You can't do that. Because you don't know. You don't know if you're one of the chosen or if you're not. If you're one of the elect or you're not. And that's not what the scripture teaches. So you balance these things, and yet you'll depart. The scripture says, expressly in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, I don't hold full Calvinists to be you know, cultic. I, I do believe that their theology is off, as I believe Arminians are off. But the idea is you'll depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There's a subtlety to it. The idea uh, of, of, of Mormonism, it started with... Uh, Joseph Smith and the whole concept, he'd actually come out of a, of a, of a Christian denomination and, and came up with this idea of, of as, as God is, man once was. As God is, no, excuse me, as, as man is, God once was. And as God is, man will one day become. And so that's, that's, that's apostate. It's not good. It's, it's polytheism. There's many gods. And, and, and Jesus is the Savior, and they speak of atonement, and it's very close. But as I was sharing with, with my, my um, Mormon friends, I had a really neat conversation, and I shared with them. I said, Mormons understand sanctification really well. They're some of the most moral people in observation of the law I've ever met. They don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. But what they don't get is justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And we as Christians take that grace, and we use our liberty to stumble others. And we use our liberty to cause ourselves to be engaged in habitual sin. And we see how close we can get to the edge. And we don't see the idea of liberty, this idea of freedom being the pursuit of good for the obtainment of excellence. Whereas Mormons apply the law and they succeed. Some of the wealthiest people in our community are Mormons. They tithe. They observe the law. Their families flourish. Christians in the body of Christ who have the same law avoid the law for the sake of grace to indulge in sin so that grace may abound. And their lives are a wreck. They don't tithe. They don't operate and observe the law out of adoration because they refuse to do it out of obligation and they, they don't do it out of adoration. And, and we, we operate in the context of grace. So, so this is, and, and I told him, I said, wouldn't it be neat if, if you guys understood sanctification more? Or, or excuse me, you guys understood justification more and we understood sanctification more? And that's my way of sharing with them the gospel. And I said, you can't understand justification because you're only saved by observation of the law. 
You don't know which heaven you're going to be in, whether it's the celestial, the terrestrial, the celestial, there's three heavens in Mormonism. I said, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I, I, absent from the body, present with the Lord, I know if I died right now, I'd be in heaven, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Now that should motivate me to be more sanctified, which I'm not in relation to you. And so this is that balance where they have strayed from the concept of justification by faith. They've applied the law. Others have done the same. Jehovah's Witnesses came out of, uh, of another cult. Um, Christian science, science of faith and healing, Mary Baker Eddy. Um, a number of cults have, have come. And, and how do cults come about? It's straying from the word of God. That's why the Bible says teach the whole counsel of God's word. That's why we go through the entirety of the scripture so we have the whole counsel of God's word. There are texts, as I've shared with you on Wednesday nights, I'd love to avoid as a pastor. I'd love to avoid those texts as a pastor. But our responsibility is to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the entirety, the word of truth. And so we do that. And so when you don't, you tend to focus on your favorite doctrines. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, not a cult, leaning towards legalism, not a cult. Uh, um, I believe them to be Orthodox Christians. Um, uh, Ellen G. White, I believe some of her writings are unorthodox. As I I think some of my my Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters agree, um, and, and their dietary laws and, and their observation of the Sabbath, they look at it by grace, and it's changed a lot in, the la- in these last few years, especially the church that fellowships here. Simon is one of the most grace-filled Adventist pastors I've ever met. But there, there's that, that, that idea of legalism. And so what happens is this, this idea of doctrines of demons creep in. So a half-truth is a whole lie, right? Because you seek to deceive. You seek to deceive. So when Abraham told Sarah to say to Pharaoh, tell them you're my sister, because when they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. So tell them you're my sister. Now, she was, strangely enough, his half-sister. She could say that in obedience to her husband, and if they asked her the truth, she'd say, well, I'm also his wife. But she could say in obedience to her husband, yes, I am his sister. For her, it was obedience to her husband. For him, it was the attempt to deceive. And a half-truth is a whole lie. And what happens with a half-truth is this becomes a deceiving spirit and a doctrine of demons. And you build an entire church around this concept. Um, and and, and we, we went through this. I mean, I remember, have you, any of you ever studied um, uh, the Nephilim? Anyone ever heard of the whole Nephilim thing? Yeah, this idea of giants. And um, have you ever, the Y2K phenomena? You know, everyone was concerned about Y2K and it was a glitch in the computer system and, and it didn't have enough data or whatever and the whole world would explode the minute. And that was Chuck Missler who started all that. And, and he, he came into the Calvary movement, everyone bought it for a season and it was just ridiculous. And he was trying to give away, the. I remember the cassettes, he was trying to give them all away as, as the clock was getting closer to 2000, and he was nervous. And, and I remember being up on the hill on, you know, uh, uh, December what, 31st, 1999, with all the youth group kids, and the parents were scared to let the kids go up because they thought the whole world was going to explode. And we said, well, no, we'll be in the safest place. We'll have our own water supply and food, and we'll just watch the valley below burn. And of course, you know, all that happened was some blinking light in Moscow, nothing. But one man took a portion of scripture, you know, and built this whole thing with the Nephilim and built this whole thing. And, and, and it's, it's, it had sold, he made an enormous amount of money. And now you don't hear about him. He was actually one of the best expositors of scripture. I believe him to be a Christian. His wife, Nancy, is an amazing teacher. But he was dead wrong on that. And I know people in our church in San Jose that sold everything they had and moved to Montana and bought a compound and, and, and emergency supplies, and they're still up there. And their kids were warped because of the, of the folks. People are affected by these doctrines. And what Paul's telling Timothy is you've got to have a balance. These are going to be deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Um, 
in the Calvary movement, um, what is that? <laughs> Sorry, that's going to be on the. In the Calvary movement, um, we started with a guy um, by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. Anyone ever heard of Lonnie Frisbee? Lonnie Frisbee was a very charismatic guy. And uh, he's the one who kind of was used of the Lord to start this, this tra- transformation of music. Uh, the body of Christ was, you know, no syncopated rhythms. The church would be divided whether you had a piano or an organ. That's how heavy it was back then. And they, they brought in these demonic instruments, guitars and drums, God forbid, syncopated rhythms. And, and Lonnie Frisbee, and it was the whole Jesus movement. And it was actually Maranatha music attached with this expository teaching of Chuck Smith that created this Calvary Chapel move of God. 10,000% growth, 1,600 churches around the world since 1966. Expository teaching of the word of God. And, and these hippies that had burned out would sit for hours, sometimes three hours, going through entire books of the Bible as Chuck would just teach. And, and they would sit there. And, and they were all burned out hippies and they'd gone to find themselves and now they were being absolutely transformed by the word of God and people were being saved in droves and they were drawn by the music and by Lonnie Frisbee and the gifts of the spirit were being made manifest and people were being healed and amazing things were happening and what happens is if there's not a balance between the spirit and the truth the church becomes legalistic and becomes so doctrine oriented that there's there's no sensitivity to the leading of the Lord, and 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 so Lonnie Frisbee started getting a little wacko, and he actually had come out of a drug background, he'd had a homosexual past, um, and things started getting a little weird. And in the Calvary movement, John Wimber had started at Calvary Chapel Yorba Linda, and Don had ordained him, and and Chuck or uh, uh, John Wimber started pursuing and moving away from from expository teaching and going after the gifts of the Spirit. And so as he went after that, and it was this whole spirit movement, and he started to run after the gifts of the spirit, the word became less important as the manifestation of the spirit and the wonders and the works of God. And so everybody's running after this powerful dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, and it's spirit and truth. And they'd walked away from the truth, longing for the spirit. And and in the Vineyard Movement, there was a group of folks who called themselves prophets. And it, and it started to affect the Calvary Chapel churches. I was... Uh, hearing uh, Joe Foch share one time that one of these prophets came into the Calvary Chapel he was a part of, and he declared himself to be the prophet, and um, and and uh, it got a little weird. Um, have you ever heard of? Well, so as a Kansas City prophets, uh, Paul Kane was one one of them, and and Paul Kane declares himself to be the prophet, and the Kansas City prophets said, well, Paul Cain submitted to us, and Paul Cain said no, and you had Bickle, Mike Bickle, and a number of others. They said, no, he submitted to us, and it was kind of weird, and, and Paul Cain began to be the prophet, and he would go up and prophesy on people, and he would speak into their lives, and people would line up for it, and, and, and Paul Cain said he had this anointing from the Lord, and from his, his, his mother's womb, God had set him apart, and that he was not to marry so that he remained pure before the Lord, and, um, and so Paul Cain gets up to do a funeral for a man who had passed. And, and, and Joe Foch is in this, and all the Calvary Chapel guys at Calvary Chapel Church. Paul, gets, Paul Cain gets up to speak at this man's funeral, and the wife of the man who died stands up and, and begins to berate him and say, my husband wrote me a letter because this man had committed suicide. My husband wrote me a letter and told me that he committed suicide because you were having a homosexual relationship with him. And of course, as we know, Paul Cain ended up, um, he, he was an alcoholic and a homosexual. Uh, after three ministers defellowship Cain in October, he admitted to charges and asked Christians to forgive him. Veteran charismatic minister Paul Cain issued a solemn apology on January 31st in which he repented for immoral behavior and pledged to seek counseling for his alcoholism. Celebrating the charismatic circles for his accuracy as a New Testament prophet, Cain was disciplined and disfellowshipped by three church leaders last fall after they determined... He had engaged in a pattern of unbiblical behavior that included heavy drinking and homosexuality. I know Mike Bickle. It was Rick Joyner, Mike Bickle, Jack Deere. I don't know Jack Deere. They released uh, their charges on October 19th in a statement on the internet. They also said Cain was unwilling to submit to a restoration process. Cain initially denied the charges in a statement on his own website, maintaining that his reputation was being attacked. But three months later, he decided to come clean. I'm as guilty as I can be, he told Charisma Magazine. I'm going for counseling. I'm getting as much help as I can. 
Joyner, Bickle, and Deer made their initial charges public because they found proof that Cain was involved in long-term homosexual activity and often got drunk and sometimes in public. And he did this at the, and, and, and Joe Foch was a new believer. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Philly. He, he leaves there going, oh man, what happened? And he gets to this new church and, and they have a guy by the name of, of uh, Rodney Howard Brown come in. Anyone ever heard of him? Rodney Howard Brown comes in and he begins to do this, this laughter movement. And, and listen, balance, Rodney Howard Brown, Calvary Chapel wouldn't be here without Lonnie Frisbee. I believe that there's manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit, and I believe that God moves in profound and powerful ways. But when you remove the Word of God in the teaching and in any church gathering, it gets real strange. And what, what the Lord is saying to Timothy is he says, they're forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Some people will lay out dietary laws. Uh, people will lay out things that you can and can't do and that you're not a Christian unless you're not doing it. It's just all legalism. But more importantly, he says, now the spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Robert Tilden, interesting man. And uh, he was sued. He was a TV preacher and he was sued because he had sent a letter to one of his contributors and he had heard that he'd had cancer and he said, God told me that if you send this gift, this amount, that he will heal you. And, and the man's wife sued him because the day that Tilton wrote the letter, the man had already been dead for six weeks. And she won. She won an enormous settlement. With uh, Rodney Howard Brown, this holy laughter movement had turned into barking, and then it turned to, into roaring like a lion. And the other th- movement of the spirit was this idea of joy unspeakable. They just walk around, just smiling, just and, and just just joy unspeakable. I just don't even know what to do with it. And and with some people now, I know people that have been saved at Benny Hinn crusades, and they walk with the Lord today. I know others that have been disillusioned and have turned away from it and have given up the faith. But I also know too. When, when the vineyard movement imploded, and, and some of the folks who, who were with us from the vineyard can testify, countless people were devastated by that. Devastated. And, and, and the sea of humanity that has been affected by this just five-degree deviation from the Word of God. I can also share with you the Calvaries have never been the same since John Wimber left. We don't have a, the, the same sensitivity. Part of our DNA is gone. There is a balance in what God desires, but it must be word-centered. And, and, and it's, it's so affected me that I remember being in an afterglow service when I was a brand new minister over on Skyline, and it was a really precious mo- moment. And this woman gets up and starts singing show tunes and saying she's you know, empowered by the Spirit, and she's doing Sinatra show tunes. And it, just, it was just quench-filled, the whole place. And I had to go sit her down, and, 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 and I just thought, what, what's the point? Every time I do this, there's going to be some knucklehead that's just going to go off. They, they, and and they, they want the attention. They want everything drawn to them. And yet I've met people who are so sensitive to the, to the moving of the Spirit of the Lord that I, there's a part of me, I don't want to throw that out. But I'm so, I've been so scarred by it. Can anyone relate to that? And so when we get to this place, this refutation of legalism and, 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 and this idea that that God wants us to walk in the Spirit. But He also wants us to test the Spirit and to see if they're of the Lord. Um, you know, this idea of, of Christians never being sick, you know, the health. I've never met a man or a woman who's died of good health. Think about that. You die of the last thing you had. We're, we're in a fallen world with disease. We, we're affected by sickness. Sickness isn't sin. And, and, and to abstain from food, you can, you can just read the book of Acts and you can see when the sheet came down. And, and that's why I love, I just, I love. 
going to Israel. And when we get to Caesarea, I always take him to Joppa. And I take him to the house of Simon the Tanner. I go, this is where bacon became legal. (laughs) It's one of my favorite spots. So take a look and, and look how difficult it is in the body of Christ because Mike Bickle at um, International House of Prayer, I, I count him to be a friend. Uh, they've prophesied over me. I've had people prophesy over me and I was touched by some of the things they said and they ministered to me. There are others that have prophesied over me and it was just a complete joke. There are some that have prophesied over me and got it right and they prophesied over me again and got it wrong. And there's a part of me that I want to boot them. And there's a part of me that I, I listen to him again. I've had times where I've, I've been in a meeting where somebody comes up and they, they, they're praying for me to speak in tongues and, and they're waiting for me to be slain in the spirit. I was a young Christian. They've got their hand on my head and they're and I, I, I'm not going down. I'm like, what, is, what, are, what are you doing? What are you? And, and they're rebuking me because I am not yielding to the spirit of God. Well, that's intimidation. God loves a cheerful giver, not out of guilt or compulsion. They're compelling me, and I'm not moved by it. I was, I was turned off by it. I remember one time I knew enough Russian, my daughter's Russian, I know enough Russian that when a man comes up to me and, and, and says a prayer language, I remember I was at Tulane University, he's praying over me, and I just wanted him to go away. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop, and I'm, I'm, I'm being polite. Have you ever met someone like that? You just, you, you, you want to be polite, and they're, they're abusive. They just won't go away. And he wouldn't stop, and he's, he's my elder, and he wouldn't stop unless I spoke in a prayer language. So I just mumbled something for his sake so he'd go away. I knew what I was doing. I was just trying to be polite, and I just mumbled so he'd just go away. And he goes, praise God, the Lord revealed to me that you are speaking Russian. God gave you the Russian language as a gift. I thought, I am going to get as far away from you as humanly possible. I remember one time I was at a Methodist church, a brand new Christian. The guy called me up and he says, you're a strong, strapping fellow. And God has his hand on you and you're going to catch the folks who are slain in the spirit. And I didn't even know what it was. I'd go in there because the Methodist church I was attending, the lady was really liberal and it was a female pastor. I didn't know anything about church. I just knew that I wanted something more and I couldn't figure it out. And all of a sudden they would lease out the facility to this traveling church and they're doing the slain in the spirit and i'm where's the slain in the spirit part i'm i've i'm i you know and it took me years to read they go it was when jesus in the garden of gethsemane and he spoke and all the roman soldiers fell down the 178,000 assyrians were slain in the spirit and and saul was knocked off his horse that's slain in the spirit and and so he he's coming up and he's hitting people and i'm having to catch him and they're shh shaking on the ground. I'm thinking, I know first aid. I'm a Boy Scout. Is there anything I can do for you? And, and they come and cover them. And I, I'm going through this, struggling over it. I'm candidly sharing with you. I am struggling over this. And, and, and yet, I'm there. And I stepped back and I thought, and when the man came up to me, he goes, slain in the spirit, and he's pushing on me. I, I, was, I was offended by it. And, and let me ask you, what does the world think of this? Are they amazed at us? The only time you see in the scripture slain in the spirit is where a non-believer comes in and says, surely the presence of God is in this place and they fall down in repentance. And the idea is, what is the fruit of all of it? Take, take, do we have the Tilton one? No, show this. I'm just getting into a prophetic vein. Someone with a digestive tract problems, quickly call. There's a miracle for you. Intestinal problems. Someone with similar intestinal problems. We've seen several people being delivered from the colostomy bag. Disability with a child, some type of a learning disability. We've seen many, many children healed. We've seen midgets grow. We've seen arms and legs that stop growing because the growth cells that stop. I don't make this stuff up. We have thousands of testimonials documented by people's lives that have been changed. All of his prayer requests were found in the dumpster. He, they just take the checks out and put the prayer requests in the dumpster. Now, there are a number of folks in our fellowship that are at stage four cancer. And there's there's... There's no 
more vulnerable, vulnerable place to be. And everyone is going to come to you with a cure. Now, some of them have some really good advice. And others are going to milk you. Who's right? You need discernment, wisdom. Right? Imagine somebody with a colostomy bag or a child with some sort of a disease or some sort. And, and you, you write a check and you're going to be healed. Now, this next one, this isn't to be insulting. I want you to observe it as a non-believer or as somebody who rightly, you know, or, or you've spent time in the Word and we've gone through the study. If I were to do this on a Sunday morning, let's show this. Well, go ahead and just take a drink now. The bar's open. Go ahead and take a drink. The bar's open. Let's take a drink. And I began to laugh. You know, you can laugh just like you can speak in tongues. If I told every one of you right now to speak in tongues that's baptized in the Holy Spirit, you could do it. You don't have to wait for an anointing. The uh, commentary the is not mine. Hooks up with you. Just listen, don't read you it. You start out in the flesh, but then he hooks up with you in the spirit. It's the same with the laughter. And so I began to laugh. I wasn't anointed of God. Skip past her and go but towards... But I said, in my spirit, I was saying... Right there. Now, Rodney Howard Brown was part of the Calvary, and uh, he would speak at Calvary chapels. This is not my commentary. This is just off the internet. Well, go ahead and just take a drink now. The ball's open. Go ahead and take a drink. Go ahead, just take a drink. Just start off in the natural. You'll end up in the Holy Ghost. Just start off in the natural. Just start off, ha, 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 ha. Just start off in the natural. You'll end up in the Holy Ghost. Just start off in the natural. You'll end up over in the realm of the glory. The idea is, it comes from a portion of Scripture saying, you'll, you'll be not drunk of wine, but of Holy Spirit. And so from that passage, this is the action. Now, I struggle over that. <laughs> but in the same regard, I believe the gifts are for today. I want to see God move. I want to see people healed. I, 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 I love when someone has a word of knowledge for me. I, I'm blessed by this idea of the gift of discernment and the gift of helps and the gift of giving and the, all of these gifts. I believe the gifts are for today. But the result of that was disillusionment. One of the fastest declining denominations in America was the vineyard movement. It devastated the vineyard movement. The churches closed. They, they, and and it, was a part, it was a part of us. And we lost something when they left. Now, the reason why we've held together is because of the word. But honestly, there's a part of us missing. We have the truth because we teach the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. But the spirit, this idea of the sensitivity, I am, I'm, I'm blessed by guys like Mike Bickle in the sense that he, he still believes God moves in, in amazing ways. But I've also noticed in his life that the word has become far more important to him than it ever has been. I share this with you because this is the difficulty of what Paul is saying to Timothy. 
you are going to, the Spirit expressly says in latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I will tell you right now, Robert Tilton is a thief. I don't believe he's saved. I'm not one to condemn any, anyone to damnation. But everything I've read and all the documentation I've done on that man's life, he is vile. He's not, he's not welcome to step foot in this church unless he's in full repentance. I'm sickened by him and burdened by him. I, I know folks who gave up their life savings for some, some folks like this, where we as a church had to help them. And they were, they were taken by emotion. And the scripture says, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, which God have created. And he goes through this whole thing. But he says, for every creature of God, verse 4, is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. We went through this with Joppa and the other things in Genesis. And we can see it in Genesis one twenty nine, Genesis 9.3. But look at verse 6. We'll close with this tonight. Paul says to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. What is good doctrine? Good doctrine is the basic tenets of the Christian faith. When you stray from those, all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. When you stray from the basic tenets of the Christian faith and you start to get out there, when you say that, that, that God overrides his word, God is not bound by his word, that, that there, there is more to the scripture even though that we're not to add or detract from the scripture and then they can say, thus saith the Lord, even though it's in contradiction to the written word we have. Now we've got problems. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, this is going to happen And you know what it is? What's the church? It's the pillar of truth, isn't it? If we walk away from the word, we're in trouble. But in the same regard, if it's all word without spirit, the Bible says that we, you know, speak the truth in love. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. You know, it's, it's, it's like the man that, you know, somebody comes and Rob, you're fat. I would have liked it if you'd said, Rob, you know, something nice. You're absolutely right. I am. I'm, I'm overweight. It, and, and, you know, the, the Chinese culture, I remember there was a woman who used to do my laundry in San Jose, and I come, he goes, you're gaining weight. I'm like, that's not how we do it in America. <laughs> you know? But, but the idea is, you speak the truth in love. There's a balance there. Now, love without truth is hypocrisy. I mean, a man can say, honey, I love you, I love you, I love you, and, and, and uh, I, I swear I'll never beat you again. I swear I'll never beat you again. And he always does it when he gets drunk. And I love you, I love you, please let me back in. And I swear I'll never drink again. And the next night he's drunk and he's beating her. That is hypocrisy. He's declaring love, but there's no action. And, and truth, just in its brutal form without love, you, you can, you're going to hell. You don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. There's a little bit nicer way of going about that. Getting to know the person, spending time with them, understanding why they are the way they are, why they do what they do, who they are. They're not just a notch so you can go through the four spiritual laws. You spend time with them, you minister to them, you care for them, right? That's the balance, he says, if you instruct brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. We want to be good ministers. Nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. I want to have faith. I want to have supernatural faith. I want to see God move mountains. I want to believe that God can do it because my God is big enough. I don't want to be discouraged. I want to, I want to realize through his eyes that we're more than conquerors. I want to be able to see through his eyes that he has cast my sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more, that my conscience calls me guilty, but God considers me redeemed and delivered. I, I want that balance. I want to see through the eyes of the Lord how he sees me. I want to understand the fullness of his grace and why grace is so amazing. I want to understand what it's like to have a heart that wants to willingly do the things that please him. 
I want to see cultures transformed because we're doing good for the pursuit of excellence and our families are, are affected. I want to see the balance of justification and sanctification. I want to see God move in our, in our churches. And I'll tell you what, why do we pray? Is it an exercise in futility? Prayer is, is, is calling out to God and asking all of the blessings of heaven to fall upon a land to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. There has never been a revival anywhere in the world that hasn't first started by concentrated prayer. What is prayer? It's an act of faith. I can preach all day on prayer, but, but you want to you reduce the church down to nothing? Call for a prayer meeting. Nobody wants to go to a prayer meeting. Nobody. It's an act of faith. You're praying to a God that isn't there, asking him to move, and you feel like it's an exercise in futility. And we want to see a manifestation, and we'll run after it if we see it. But the power of faithfulness to pray because he calls us to pray and to watch as he moves. And then, i got four minutes. Look at verse 7. He says, nourished in the words of faith. And he's talking about this is solid food, not, not about abstaining. It's not about asceticism. It's not about abstaining from food. It's about nourishing yourself on, on, on the bread of life, the word of God, the word of faith and of good doctrine, which you, you have carefully followed. Verse seven, but reject profane old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Uh, you, you, speculative, all these things, these theories, avoid those. You know, people send me emails all the time about stories, and it takes me about five seconds to just go to Scopes, test it, and go, this is hokey. And I send it back. I go, if you're going to put it out on the internet and you're going to represent the truth, you might want to fact check, especially when you copy your non-believing friends. And you know what Abraham Lincoln said? His quote, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. And so he says, reject profane old wives' fables and exercise yourselves towards godliness. Now watch this. He says, because the idea is to discipline the body. If I don't, if I can just discipline my body, if I can get up earlier, if I can just abstain, I'm going to obtain a closeness with God. And he says, for bodily exercise profits a little. He didn't say it doesn't profit at all. Profits a little. And I would do well to apply a little exercise, as would probably all of us. Amen. But here's a question for you, especially for your exercise freaks. Look what he says here. But godliness is profitable for all things. Do you spend as much time in the word as you do exercising your body? Because I got news for you. One of the most handsome men I've ever met, and he was chiseled. He had, he, there wasn't an ounce of fat on him. He worked out. He always, his hair was perfect. He always cologne, shaved. Clothes were immaculate, dressed to the style. He died. And I got to scatter his ashes. I'm thinking, you spent all your time, and I'm watching the ashes just go through my fingers. You spent all your time on this and never in the word. Godliness profits in all things. What is godliness? Doing good to obtain excellence. Honoring the law, not out of obligation, but adoration doing the law. And God gives you the power to do the law. And it profits you. It profits your family. It profits your community. It profits your church. You're not a taker. You're a giver. You're not a, a ministry. You're a minister. Right? Having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. I got news for you. All the exercise you're doing on this earth is going to do you no good in heaven. You're going to get a brand new body eternal in the heavens. Chuck Smith died with a beer belly and he never drank. He died of lung cancer and he never smoked. And his life, I would say, was pretty profitable. And then finally, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For this is the end. We both labor and suffer reproach because we must trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men especially of those who believe these things command and teach, Timothy. It's got to be about Jesus. And what is Jesus? Jesus is the word. How do we get to know Jesus through his word? 
How do we get to love him? By obeying him. If you love me, you'll obey me. It's the balance of spirit and truth. How do we obey him? By his spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by, his, by my spirit, says the Lord. There's a balance there. I, I don't know at times what to throw out and what to keep. I look at things like that and it's like eating chicken. I eat the meat and I spit out the bones. And it's the only way I can walk this balance of believing that the gifts are for today because I still want to be sensitive. And people come up to me with the weirdest things and I get all kinds of stuff. And I have a little file that if it ever comes true, I'm like, okay, well, that person, I got news for you. The other file of throwaway is way thicker. There have been some people that have blown my mind. But again, that's on one hand. And I can use all your hands and feet to count the other because there are a lot of deceiving spirits out there. And that's exactly what they want. They want to operate by emotion. And you have to balance that with truth. There's got to be a balance. So, Paul said it to Timothy. I shared it with you guys tonight. 